Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to another episode of the Married Men Don't Talk Show. Tonight's topic is married to the military. We have a few rules and they are no profanity, no poli- no political stuff or politics, and no racial stuff. And this is not Bible study. My name is Darren Smith and I will be your host for the evening along with my co-host Rodney Turner and Tony Hawkins. If you have something to say, please feel free to do so. If you just prefer to listen, that's cool. Just put your phone on mute. Okay, tonight's topic, I first would like to ask, is there, besides my guest, is there any veterans out there? And I, being one, I am a veteran, so is anybody joining me? Yeah, I'm a veteran. How long did you serve? Is Ike? Yeah, uh, nine years. Air Force, Army, Navy, Air Marine. Force. Nine years in oh, Air Force. Yeah. Okay. Do you know? Go ahead. Do you know anybody who, uh, tonight we want to talk about the guys who were told that, I know I was told when I was in the Army and in the Navy that your wife didn't come in your seat bag. So, you know, whoever, whatever's in your seat bag, that's what you're married to. Anybody else was told that? Yeah. Okay. Anybody besides my guest? Like, what was the, the? I think the Air Force slogan is "Aim High," right? Right. Yeah, that's our, that's our that's our slogan motto, whatever you want to call it. Okay, Air Force is <laughs> "Aim High." Uh, the Marines is the few, the few, the proud, the Marines. Uh, the uh-huh. Navy is "You Are Tomorrow." You are the Navy, and the Army, I believe, was something like. Be all you can be, be, all you be in can arms. Be. There you go. Okay, so <laughs> so y'all familiar with all these terms? Now, what they so what they show us in these commercials, they show up they show us a lifestyle, and each one of us have gotten into the service because of somebody in our family, or we saw a movie. I know Top Gun is the one that did it for me. So I was I was sold out when I saw Tom Cruise on a motorcycle. He flying jets and he getting the women. That's all I needed to see. So I was all Navy. So, and and afterwards, you know, um, when I joined the Navy, uh, I thought that um, I thought that this was a lifestyle, a life change, and I and I really had to be married to the military uh, from my perspective because I had to leave my family behind when a hurricane came. I was stationed in Norfolk. A hurricane came, and they told us everybody that's stationed on the ships. We're going to do this thing called a sortie. And a sortie is when they take the ships away from the pier so the ship won't bang back and forth against it. And I'm like, well, what are we supposed to do with our family? And they say, you'll see them when you return. And I thought that's when I knew who my real bride was. Anybody familiar with that? Yeah, I'm very familiar with that. Did you ever did did do you, would you think that were you married when you was in the uh, Air Force the first time, Mike? Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. Absolutely. Think- and uh, I got a, I got a one year unaccompanied assignment, and uh, the first briefing they gave us for the assignment, they told us we after taking this assignment, well after getting this assignment, they told us we had an eighty percent chance of getting a divorce. 
and all the guys that I became friends with, all like out of seven guys, only one of us is still married, you know, to our wives during that assignment. Mm-hmm. Now, did they do that on purpose? No, but that's just the statistics. Okay. They tell all you right, this in the brief. Go ahead. No, they just tell you this in the briefing. They just tell you statistically, eighty percent of you will get a divorce. But did you choose that? Did you no, choose you that? you were forced into the assignment. Oh, okay, okay. All right, now let me ask you. Let me ask you a more difficult question. Did did you or anybody you know abstain some type of injury from warfare or something psychological happening PTSD. to you while you were separated? PTSD. I'll, yeah. Okay. Now, how about you, Ike? Have you? Do you know anybody with PTSD? Uh, no, I don't know anyone. Yeah, it, PTSD. Let's say uh, it stands for post-traumatic stress disorder. And um, and I have a couple of guests on the phone. I, I know one of my guests, um, JT. I would first like for us to uh, thank him for his service. Due to his condition, he has to be in bed by a certain time, and we're going to go into his condition. So if I could please just tell JT, along with my, um, the other callers on the phone, if we could just please thank JT for his awesome service that he served in the Marines. Um, so is JT on the phone? Okay, if he's not on the phone, uh, just just tell him to speak up when he gets on the phone, Brian. Yeah, he's on the phone. Uh, Hey, JT. Hello, JT? I can't hear him. Can anybody hear him? Yeah, I didn't know. off mute for you, sorry. Okay. JT, how you doing, man? Hey, I just want to thank you for your service, man, um, and, and for all the things that you did for this country. This country. Because uh, everybody know that freedom is not free. So I, I personally want to thank you for your service as, as you serve um, our country well. Can you, hello. You're welcome. Okay. You're welcome. All right. Now, now I, w- I would, I would, I would, anybody else want to say anything to JT? Because we're going to go into his uh, explaining his condition and what happened to him, but we're going to explain it through his stepfather, if, if you guys don't mind. So. But Brian, are you there on the phone? Yep. Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Can can you um can you first tell us who JT is? Uh, JT's my uh stepson. Yep. He's 30, 31 years old. He's a United States Marine that was shot while serving in Iraq and then later suffered an infection um resulted in Severe brain damage. He's paralyzed from his brain injury, and uh, so we took we take care of him, me and his mom. Okay. How long have you been knowing JT uh, before he got into the military? Or I met him uh, when he was twenty. So I came on came on the scene a little later in his life. Okay. Was he uh, was he already in the military, or was he? Uh, in his condition that he's currently in now. No, he was uh, just a young, uh, wild 20-year-old, and then 
after 9-11 is when he decided to join the Marines, and I think he went in in about 05. What made him decide to join the Marines out of all the services? I'm not sure. According to his, his buddies, <clears throat> apparently he'd always talked about it, and then after 9-11... Um, th- I think that's what really motivated him to go into the military. Okay. Did uh, did he did he have a girlfriend at that time or a significant other? Yeah, he was he was dating a young a young woman named Sarah. Okay. All right. Well, now with Sarah was was it pretty serious or were they just talking about getting married or were they boyfriend and girlfriend? I don't believe there's any marriage talk. You know. Like you were talking earlier, when a when a guy goes in the military, that's pretty much his uh, spouse for a while, especially at that age. So he he was gone. You know, they were still together, but you spend a lot of time doing your duty and not so much focusing on personal relationships. So he got the dear John letter, or the, did he get that letter, or he just broke it off with her later on while he was? Uh, oh, it was after was the injury. Water. It was after it was the injury. Yeah. What? Wait. He she left him after the injury, or he just said. Yes. Do you can you take? Were you there when when he had to go through that? Um. I don't. Uh, because of the brain injury, he really didn't have to go through it. You know, she came out and visited now and then, but it it was a different JT at that point. From her perspective or his? Both. Okay. All right. So, can you tell us JT's current condition? You said um, he was paralyzed from the. You said he was paralyzed from, from the shots that he received from the neck down. But his, did his does his condition cause you guys to take care of him a hundred and fifty percent of the time, or can he do some things on his own? Or oh no, he he requires total care. Yeah, originally he was shot three times in the leg, and he was at the Balboa Navy Medical Center recovering from that, um, getting ready to be discharged out of the Marines, and he was interning for a lawyer going to law school, so he was going to become a lawyer. And then while he was at the med hold unit, he developed a thing called endocarditis. It's a growth in your heart, and that flaked off and traveled up to his bloodstream and stroked his brain. So it caused him to pass out and vomit, and then he aspirated in his vomit and received anoxic brain damage. So he had the initial shock of the particles hitting his brain, kind of like a shotgun, and then he had a loss of oxygen from being unconscious like that. And they didn't find him for several several hours, even though he was in a med hold unit. And it was you know, really a big failure on the on the med hold hold unit in the Marines' part for not finding him sooner. And uh, so they didn't think he would live. They called his mom, and she immediately flew down. She was met by the chaplain, you know, the base commander, and about 12 other people. And they, she was told, don't expect him to wake up. So so he was shot initially. Now, anyone, anybody can chime in anytime they want to. Um, if you guys want to ask uh, Brian any questions, but you can chime in anytime. Um but when he got his first injuries, you said he was shot in his leg three times in three different places, right? Correct. That didn't cause his paralysis, right? Right. He was recovering from that. You know, he had lost the, 
use of his lower right leg. They call it flat foot, so he couldn't raise up his foot. You know, he had also wanted to become a police officer out of the military. Well, because he couldn't run any longer, that took that option away. So then he went to the for the lawyer things. So, yes, at that point, he was just injured from basically the knee down on his right leg until the infection, which was hospital-born. So he was in the hospital seeking treatment, getting sicker. Yeah, well, he, yeah, he was in a med hold unit, so he was detached from the hospital in barracks that they hold for the people that are injured, but they're not injured enough to be in the hospital, and they're not well oh, enough okay. to be let go. So he was okay. in that unit, you know, on his way to recovery and a different different lifestyle when, when the infection happened. So in his current condition, there's not a chance that um, JT would ever have a family of his own. Correct. And from the gunshot wounds until the brain injury was actually 10 months. So it wasn't a rapid development. And currently he's, like I said, he's brain injured and he's paralyzed. And the reason why he's paralyzed is not that his body doesn't work. It's that his brain doesn't talk to his body. Now, when I just talked to him on the phone, when we just heard his voice, uh, he sound totally uh, normal um, to me. But I, I have a picture of him and you and your wife in front of me, and he's wheelchair bound. Can he? Right. Does he have any muscle control over his body at all? He can uh, push up his glasses. Uh, we got him now where we can put a coffee cup in his hand, like you know the ones you carry in your car, and he he can drink his coffee. Um, he can take his glasses off. He can scratch parts of his head a little bit. But as far as any day-to-day activity, he can't feed himself, he can't get up, he can't go to the bathroom. If the back of his legs itch or something, you know, he has to say, hey, my leg itches, and then we get up and scratch it. So, you know, we're real cognizant of not letting him be around any type of mosquitoes or any type of a bug like that because imagine not being able to scratch an itch and having somebody else to come over to do that anytime something like that bugs you. So your wife is the main caregiver of, of JT? Yes. So he can feel everything. He just can't move. Right. Yeah, he's got okay. full sensation. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the worst. So what about how has this affected uh, your marriage to his mom? Um, well, we were married at his bedside at the Balboa Navy Medical Center when he was in a coma. So shortly after they found him, she never thought he would wake up, and she wanted him there to be, you know, to witness the marriage. So we actually got married while he was semi-comatose in his, in his hospital bedroom. And so we've always been married with him in this condition pretty much. So I signed on knowing that I was going to have to deal with this. Mm. Well, and, uh, yeah, so when when you when you got married to her, not knowing what you was going to have to be go, to go through, um, what was um, what kind of problems has it brought between you and your wife, or has it brought you guys closer, 
or has it been some frustrating times when you just said, you know what, this is too much? Oh, yeah, totally frustrating. Because <clears throat> uh, him and JT and his mom had such a close relationship that when he went in the Marines, I was thinking, oh, my God, I hope nothing ever happens to him because she would completely fall apart. And then when he got shot in the leg, I was actually relieved. I thought, thank God, you know, he didn't get blown up in an IED or something. He only got shot in the leg, and then the brain infection happened, which was pretty much the worst thing next to death that you can think of. Um, So she, you know, she lost her best friend at that point. Hmm. Now, when that happened... um it seems like the military, he was still active duty, but he was just on medical hold. Correct. Right? And after those other injuries happened, do they um, Well, do they know where the other injuries came from? You mean the gunshot or the, or the brain injury? The brain injury. Do they know how that, the infection, did they, did they have any idea that that was in him? They they didn't. It caught them by surprise, even though he went to the emergency room that night, and I think there was a cover-up over that, too. But uh, they said, go home and come back in the morning. Well, there was never a morning for him, because that's when the, you know, the brain injury happened that night. Um, he had what was called a pick line. It's a uh, um, tube that goes into your artery right before your heart, so you can administer uh, medication. Medication. Mm-hmm. And I think that might have led to the infection. Wow. But, you know, it's all a guess. They don't know. They don't know? No. They never did say conclusively that this is what caused the infection. Okay. So after that happened, I'm sure that's, you know, after that they decided to medical discharge him, right, at that point? <clears throat> uh, Yeah, that was several months later, actually, after we moved to Florida. So we were in San Diego, and he was there for, what, three or four months. And then she flew him to the James Haley VA uh, Medical Center in Tampa, Florida, and he was there inpatient for 11 months. And then some point along that line, he got discharged, and now he's medically retired. Medically retired. Now, what is that? What what comes with what benefits comes with being medically retired? Uh, he's a hundred percent disabled, pretty much as high a rating as you can get, because he does require so much care and attention. Is that enough to provide for him? You know, um, as far as his day to day needs. Um, is that enough to allow his mother not to work? Is it enough for just, is it, what, what What was his rank? He was like a sergeant or corporal? He was a lance corporal. Lance corporal. So when you retire as a lance corporal, do you, re, do you, re, you retrieve lance corporal pay retirement or more than that? I'm not sure how all that works. I'm sure he would get more if he was like a major or something like that, but he gets enough to cover his um, day-to-day expenses, you know, and the VA covers, obviously, his uh, medical needs and, like, his wheelchair and his hospital bed, um, his medications, and then he gets a set amount of money per month. But as far as 
the family goes, and this is something that I didn't realize, because I quit my job at the Idaho National Lab. I was a radiological engineer, and at the time, his mother worked for Experian as a marketing manager for 22 years, and she walked away immediately from her job to go be by him. And I was still in Idaho for 11 months while she was in Sandy, or excuse me, in Tampa by now. And then later I quit my job, come here to Florida to help them because she had got him out, out of the hospital and bought a house for JT. So we live in his house and take care of him. But the, Excuse me, she said 27 years. Um, but the no, military... Okay. <laughs> the military doesn't pay for the family to take care of him. She gets a small stipend, but but I don't get anything. And so my bank account went to zero. You know, I found out real quick that I couldn't use any of his money to pay any of my expenses because uh, Chris is his fiduciary because he can't handle his own finances. So she has to account to the VA every year, basically every dime that she spends of his. And that really? is a horrible story in itself I'll go into probably in a little bit. So the first four years, I was gone 65% of the time going out of state to work, you know, nuclear shutdowns and nuclear jobs to make money to pay my bills and, and expenses. And that that was probably the biggest toll on the marriage is being gone that that time and not being able to help out. So, so the, all the finances that are provided is just enough to take care of JT and his provider, or is just enough to take care of JT? Well, it's supposed to be just for JT. You know, there's a there's a good chunk of money, but a lot of it's just piling up in the bank because, like I said, we're not allowed to spend it on certain things. And you know, we've known families that have had uh, their fiduciary taken away and they've been hauled into court. This one family we know, the uh, kid, he can walk, and he's he's brain injured, but not nearly to the point of JT. He wanted a Camaro, so his mother bought him a Camaro. Well, he can't drive, so she has to drive it. They raked her over the coals for that, but yet it was his money. So wait a minute. So he's getting a, he's getting a monthly pay from the military from being medically retired, and he can't no one can touch it until when? Until he dies, basically, unless we get approval from the VA. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, the money, like, he has a house. He makes the house payments. He pays the electrical bills. He pays the water bills. He gets a certain amount of money every month for his, you know, his, we have a certified nursing assistant that comes and takes him to the movies, and they go out to eat, and, you know, money for that. But as far as like my health insurance, I don't have mm-hmm. any anymore. Mm. So, with it sounds like the military is taking care of him, or I'm not going to say covering up for what they did, but just enough to not get sued. Yeah, that's because he was active duty. We're not allowed to sue. It's called the Ferris Doctrine, I believe. So if he was uh, retired and in the VA system, he would have a case to sue for basically what they did to him in the hospital. But because he was active duty, as an active duty person, you cannot sue the military. 
Okay. So do you think that he's handsomely being taken care of? Um, do you think the worth of what he's getting is, do you think that's worth it for what they did to him or what he went through? Uh, he, he's, he's getting enough to, uh, have a comfortable life for him. But like I said, they don't pay anything for the family. So it makes it really hard for us to take care of him. And the alternative would be, you know, that they would put him in a home, retirement home. And if that happened, there's no doubt in my mind he would have been dead already because wow. well, about two years ago he threw a blood clot into his lungs and had to have half of his right lung removed. Mm. And, I, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you've had any, any dealings with bedridden people. You have to be meticulous about bed sores and, you know, personal hygiene and things like that or they'll get infections right. and pretty much they're gone. So in his current condition, what is his life expectancy? I mean, I, I, I mean I'm asking hard questions here um, that I wouldn't want to answer myself. So if you feel uncomfortable answering any of my questions mm-hmm. or any of our questions that we're putting out there, then just let us know we're crossing the line, okay? Chris seems to think 15 years, but I think I think that all depends on the care. Like I said, it's you can see his body changing. You know, he went from a fit fit United States Marine to a person yeah. that can't move, so his body's physically changing. I think he weighs about 180 right now, which is kind of problematic for handling. Um, right. But he is he is well taken care of. I mean, as far as that goes, his mother, he couldn't have a better person taking care of him. And mm. so if, she, if she's out of the picture for one reason or another, then it would fall to me and down the line. And then, of course, his quality of care is going to go down the further away it gets from the immediate family. Hmm. So but what would happen to him? Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say. And he's he's on a, quite a few medications, and I'm not sure what that's doing to his liver over time, and I'm sure that's having a toll. So it's no one's really given us an answer. You know, he's expected to live this long. I would just say his life will be shortened dramatically given its current state. Right. Now I'm going to ask you an even harder question. Anybody else got any questions for Mr. Bryan? I just don't want to hold all the air. To... Go ahead. I, I, I got one real quick, and I don't know if, if you had already asked this question or not, but is he, I, I understand that he's paralyzed um, pretty much from the neck down because of, of the brain injury, but is he uh, like totally conscious? Is, is his state of mind normal? Um, no, I, I don't give him as high a credit as his mom does. I put him at about 20, 25% mental capacity. You know, he, he can talk, he can remember things in the past. His short term memory is, is horrible. Like, you know, if he goes out to a movie and he comes back, I say, John, what'd you watch? You know, I don't know. But if you reinforce it, he'll remember it. Or if you say somebody's name, you know, say, you know, we're talking about somebody, and we say, John, and he goes, John Baca? You know, so he'll remember little things a long time ago. It's kind of weird. It's, And he'll remember things from his past. He'll remember his PIN number from before the injury, you know, all of his cousins and that type of thing. But short-term memory is not good. So what is this? called is is one of his conditions post traumatic stress disorder because it didn't seem like he had any stress, it just seemed like he had a disability or something just 
he's oh, failed I on them. Post-traumatic stress disorder is the least of his worries. I don't, you know, because of the brain injury, he's, and and the as well as he's taken care of, he's got a positive outlook. I was asking, John, how you doing? I'm doing great. And he says, how you doing, Brian? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Okay, so he don't have to go into any kind of other care centers because, well, I mean, I I guess I mean he has that's that would be the least of his problems in his current physical condition. Yeah, his injury is so severe that post traumatic stress disorders so far down the the line it's not a concern. You know, he doesn't he doesn't think about you know getting shot or any of his buddies getting hurt. He's pretty much focused on day to day stuff. Hmm. And how does this affect you personally? This, this, you know, the whole caregiving from from your wife, your new mar, you newly wed, pretty much. Um, <laughs> you guys have been from the time you were married, have been dealing with your your stepson. How has this affected you personally? Um, like I said, I walked away from a uh, top secret security job at the Idaho National Lab. Um, you know, I had a six-bedroom house on four acres. Gave up all that. Gave up my career. At that time, I think I was wondering, okay, what am I going to do with my life? What's the purpose? Well, I wasn't expecting this. Apparently, my purpose is to come here and help take care of John. So it's totally changed my uh, my direction in life. And what has been your biggest struggle up to this point, do you just struggle with that, knowing that, you know, I dropped everything uh, for mainly this woman and her 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 son, which is not wouldn't do the same for me. A lot of us, I mean, I'm not going to speak for anybody else. I think that sometimes men give more to a relationship than women, or they sometimes think that their wives would if they were in that that current situation. For instance, I know now. I know some women that are out there that is that was if if JT was married, she probably would have stayed with him for a little while, maybe. But I don't think that she would put or provide the care that his mother is providing for him. I'm just being honest. Yeah, um, I've seen, I've, I know families like that where the wife has walked away and left the mother taking care of him. Yeah, and and that's so. But the wife be your biggest. The wife is supposed to take care. The wife is supposed to take care of, not his mother. Yeah. Well, they they call they call me the wife in the house now because I do all the cooking. You know, I go buy the food. So. Wow! (laughs) Oh wow! I'm I'm the wife around here. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Do you do now? I'm gonna ask you. I know your wife is in the room, and tell Chris, forgive me for asking this question. But do you regret your situation that you 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 married into, or do if you had a chance to do it all over again, would you just say, "Let me just be friends, keep my house over here on four, four acres, keep my six figure salary, and you know I'll support you any way I can." I've I've had that cross my mind several times, and I think I would be less of a person had I done that. Mm. You know. So you think you just made the decision that you made based off of what you would look like if you did do that? 
Yeah. And she knew I couldn't walk away. I mean, when we got married at JT's bedside, I didn't know I was getting married at the time. I was coming down from Idaho to visit, and she said, we're getting married on Monday. I said, what do you mean we're getting married on Monday? <laughs> I said, no, you need, you need to think through. You're, you're stressed out. You don't want to get married. <laughs> and then... Uh, did you, now, now, did you want to marry her, or...? Yeah, down the line, but not at that moment in those conditions. And then one of the people that witnessed our marriage certificate as a Medal of Honor recipient, John Bacher, and she said, you know, now that he's witnessed it and signed the marriage certificate, there's no way you can back out of this. (laughs) Wait a minute, so you was trapped? Yeah, she's she's playing on my patriotism because I'm ex-Navy too. I spent nine years in the Navy Oh, thank you for your service as well, man. Thank you. Wow. So so you was ambushed into marrying JT's mom. <laughs> she she still laughs about that. Oh. Okay. All right. Well you need to listen to one of our other shows called Traps. <laughs> Let me know how that yeah, how that works yep. out for you. But but I, but I, I think looking back, you know, it's uh, probably a good thing that I'm here because having to deal with JT's condition day to day for her is is a, daunt, a daunting experience, and I can't imagine how they would be without somebody like me, you know, to take care of the house, take care of things, and I can fix just about anything. Um, you know, I everything that we put JT through, I've had her put me into because we're about the same size. So I've tried out his wheelchair. I've tried out his lifts. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one thing they had a standing frame for him and like that looks at that. So I had her in it and it tweaked out my lower back. I, I told her it was something like out of uh, the Inquisition. I made her get rid of it because it was horrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now let me ask you this. Now, um, now if that's her day to day. What is your day to day struggle? Your your main day to day struggle, because um, you you just said hers was just trying to lift him up and and take care of him every single day. What is your day to day struggle? Is it the cooking and the cleaning, or is it trying to balance everything all together, or is it leaving? Oh. What, what is your oh, day to day? Well, that's the easy part. Uh, I would say not not having the career path that I that I was in because, you know, after nine years in the Navy and I was served on uh, nuclear submarines in my last four years, I was a senior instructor in a prototype teaching radiation and chemistry, radiation control and chemistry in nuclear propulsion plants. So I was doing that and now I'm not doing that. So I'm having to fill that gap from being the person, you know, that was doing that and pretty much the head of the household to now I'm unemployed and I live in with my stepson. I actually used to joke about that. I, I have no job and I live with my stepson. <laughs> <laughs> but, and and wow. I know how big of a joke that is because um, this leads me to my next question, but my I wanted my son to be a nuclear operator in the Navy. Uh, since I was in the Navy for 15 years, I didn't really want him to follow my footsteps, but I told him if you wanted to follow my footsteps, I would prefer 
you to be a nuke uh, because they get a they get a hundred thousand dollar signing bonus if you if they reenlist for so many years. Uh, it's so many twerks and degrees and knowledge that comes with that job. So I can I know that you're a smart guy because you used to be a nuke in the military in the navy. So from going to it, that's just like going from 200 miles an hour to zero. In in my in, in in my eyesight, but my question is my question is if anybody that would uh, want their son or their daughter to go into the military, what would be your advice to them? Oh yeah, exactly what you said. Uh, it was great for me. After I got out of the Navy program, I I never had to worry about a job. In fact, still to this day, um, for example. I'm pretty much tapped out right now financially, so in February I'm going to go work a nuclear shutdown in Kansas for two months. I never have to worry about, you know, somebody not hiring me because all they have to see is ex-Navy nuke and boom, you got a job. And there's right. there's so many different jobs out there. You know, people say, oh, I don't want to get shot or I don't want to do this. Well, the people like, you know, Keith that's on the line and JT, they're the ones that go out and and do the heavy work, you know, and have to worry about getting shot. But there's, for every one of them, there's 10 or 20 people in support roles that allow them to be up there. So there's, you know, I've got one cousin that just became a doctor recently. He, he was a Marine enlisted, and now he switched over to the Navy. And he's, now he's an ER doctor at Kent of June. Okay. So there's so many Go ahead. You said you're going to Kansas for two months? Right. So you're going to be gone again? Yeah, in the wintertime. So I'm leaving Florida in the wintertime to go to Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> so is your wife going to be all right, though? I mean, like, how are you going to make arrangements? You know, she, is, when she, she is not happy about that. I mean, but is got, she going to be all right? I mean... What? Uh, who's going to replace you while you know while you're gone, around the house? Um, you know, cooking the food, you know, cooking the meals and doing all that stuff. Well, it's going to go from uh, nice home cooked meals to uh, pizza and taquitos and fast food and takeout. <laughs> mm. Wow! 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 Huh. Does anybody anybody else have any questions for um, uh, Brian? Now, Brian, I just wanted to know, um, you guys are, you know, you said you depleted your bank account and the money is, I mean, is more help needed in this case than than people that are available. You know, um, it's more help needed in this case than money that's coming in. Uh, so if any of our listeners, uh, if they wanted to help your family out, uh, how can we reach out to you uh, directly to to support JT or support your family any kind of way? Um, just let it. Do you, do you have a drive or a fund that we could kind of uh, log in and try to help out? Yeah, Chris set up a fund for JT years ago, and it's at uh, help dot com, and they can see pictures of him and read his read his story and donate if they feel like it or. You know, she she hasn't updated it in several years because she's been busy with other things. But 
there is a mechanism. That... Okay, so it is helpjt.com. It's all lowercase, right? Yeah, upper lower. I don't think the Internet really cares anymore. Okay. Well, I really appreciate you. You can stay on because um, um, that, I mean, our service members are the most important people, I believe, in this country. And then teachers. Uh, anybody else got any questions before I close the segment? Okay. Um, I, I, I don't. I'm sorry. I, I don't have any. I don't have any questions. But um, it's real. Uh, first off, for your for your son is admirable. Uh, he served his country. He he got a line of fire. And, and the same to you for sticking sticking it through with your wife, uh, with your son. Um, because I know that it's really really hard, especially. Um, knowing that at one point in time you could see probably a career path uh, or future in that that you really believed in, that you really probably wanted to work towards, and then you put it on hold. I think that's that's just very admirable of you, and I I can just appreciate people like yourself. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. And also, anybody else? Now, I have another guest on the phone. Uh, Ron, are you there? Oh, yeah. Hey, Ron, how you doing, man? Pretty good. Now, you shared um, not a similar story, but can you tell us, you know, uh, did you do, what time did you do in the military? Well, I was in two different branches. I was in the, the Navy Seabees for 10 years, 8 months, served in the first Gulf War. And then I um, went to Iraq 0405 with uh, the Army Reserves. And that's okay. where I uh, had the most The CBs are... Go ahead. Go, no, go ahead. No, I was asking you, the CBs, are are those are like the Navy engineers like um, that want to go fix things and build, like construction worker type guys? Yeah, we build, we fight. Okay, that's your model. Okay, okay. All right. Can do. Okay. <laughs> so, so now during your time during the, uh, the first war, were you Pardon were you married during the time of your first war? Were you married and had any kids? Or no, I was I wasn't married at the time of the first war. No. Okay. Now, what is your condition currently? I'm seventy percent disabled. Uh, PTSD. Uh, sleep apnea from the first Gulf War, from all the, the chemicals that were in the air, and uh, tinnitus. So when you went the first time, you was diagnosed with PTSD because of the chemicals? No, no. That was uh, sleep apnea. It's The sleep oh. apnea was caused by the chemicals. Or the, okay. the fires they had burning over there from the oil rigs. Oh, gotcha. Okay. All right. So you wasn't diagnosed with PTSD at that from the first war. No, I was only there for three months or three and a half months. I mean, it was stressful, and you worry about what's going on. But now the Gulf this oh four oh five in Iraq. That one was a lot worse. What do you mean? Uh, a lot more going on. Um, their year. Uh, you, um, more of the explosions, um, 
Uh, I was in a convoys with driving fuel tanker trucks, jet fuel, gasoline, and diesel up and down Baghdad. A lot more. That's really intense when you get 7,200 gallons of jet fuel behind you. And we're getting our trucks blown off the road. Uh, Thankfully, we didn't lose anybody, but we had 15 wounded. Were you married during the second, uh, during that time? Yes. Okay, so you was in an army? Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I'm still married to the same person. And I was in the army. So you switched from the Navy to the Army Reserves. What what was the reason for that switch? Well, uh, I couldn't find any CB bases close to home, and the closest thing, because CBs don't really go on ships, we're we're with the Marines. So it was kind of easy to transfer to another unit that digs fighting positions in the dirt. (laughs) Okay, okay. Okay. So basically the same training. So the PTSD, well, you, you, you was married when you went into the Army Reserves, right? Yeah. To your wife now. Okay, so mm-hmm. it was nothing wrong with you but a, but a little bit of snoring every now and again from, from the sleep apnea from the oil tankers from the Gulf War. Well, I would wake up and can't breathe. Okay, so you was already receiving... Uh, what thirty percent from that? Of no, uh, from nothing what? from then. I didn't get any of that till now because I didn't know I had that as a problem. But we did some research and found out that's what it was. Oh, so after you got out the first time, you were just okay. Thank you for your service. You out of here. Yes. Okay, and then you was looking for another job in in the field of uh, construction workering in 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 the Navy, and you just crossed over to just to join the Army Reserve. It was active Army Reserves. No, just reserve unit here in Yakima, Washington. Yakima, Washington. That's Washington State. Yes, Washington State. Okay. All right. So um, when you went, well, what I was, I was a mechanic in the CBs, and I became a mechanic in the army. Okay. But then okay. they had enough so mechanics, just... and they said maybe a truck driver. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Okay. So what did your PTSD? How was I mean, where did that come from? Was it just all the explosions or... I don't know. It's multiple things. It's just trying to put it all under perspective of everything I had to go through over there. There's When you're driving down the road and you're scanning the side to side, you got overpasses where they throw grenades off at you or off to each side to come around and shoot at you. So you're having to scan the road. You're also driving down the middle of the road so the IEDs won't blow you up as bad. Um, and then going through the cities, you're constantly scanning from them shooting you from the rooftops because it's tight. You're driving a big 18-wheeler through those little cities. And the cars, the car bombs. Pardon me? You're just a big target. Yes. So you was a driver at that time. Now, how does that affect your driving today? Is that is that how you found out that something was wrong with you? Or well, the the wife yelling at me to slow down and um, <laughs> don't get mad at the people around me that I want to drive off the road. That are <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes sense though. But I mean, does 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 PTSD ever go away? 
Or will you have it for the rest of your life? I think I'll have it for the rest of my life. Uh, they got me on medication and stuff to make you relax, but mm. Prozac and stuff. <laughs> Prozac? Mm. Yeah, it's supposed to relax. Hey, so, um, so, go ahead. Is, is post-traumatic stress disorder purely uh, a mental thing, or is it an actual physiological change in you? I think it's a change in you because... For me, I get I get angry quick. I have, and when I'm in crowds or if I'm in the mall or anything, I got people around me. That's my opinion of PTSD. I know it's it's actual events that occurred that set it off, but it's also it gets stuck in you. You're, oh, it's hard to explain. If you're like in a you're in a store, you're constantly scanning everybody and everything and constantly looking at your your back you know where the exits are at what you would grab if you had a fight I mean it's things like that you're always on alert but wouldn't that be just I mean because I do that and I don't have it but um, I do that just because of um, where I was raised so just currently being alert does that um, does that diagnose ease is Okay, you have PTSD if you're like that. What, what? I guess, is it the anger or the urges to be upset all the time? Does that uh, No, there's triggers. Make a there's person? triggers. To, like when I drive under overpasses, I, that's a trigger. Sets me off. Oh, okay. I mean, okay. but um, I'm not really for sure if PTSD is that or just hypersensitive to crowd. I, do, I never used to be like this until after the military. Oh, okay. Now, does your anger ever, you know, how did it affect your marriage? Well, we got a divorce. And then we got back together after I got some counseling and straightened out. But it, that, really? we were separated for two years. Yeah, because I didn't think I had a problem. I thought oh, and she the, one told you, she the one told you, you got a problem, you need to go get checked out. Yeah, I got a problem. But I didn't believe it. Did y'all have any kids at that time? Or? Yes. Two little girls. So she just told you you had a problem because you was yelling at everybody that you was driving fast from? Or? No, I think it's more than that. It's just you know, you're kind of dead inside, too. You've got no feelings. Well, I don't understand what that means. So when you go to kiss your wife or when she comes to kiss you, you, she, you just turn away or? Oh, no, it's I guess it's hard to explain. I mean, because you're in a combat zone that whole time. You're, uh, it's not that you, you're not scared to go out on the missions anymore. You kind of get numb and you just maybe don't care or you get, I don't know, it's hard to explain. You get turned off. You just. But you you don't lose everything, but you just not as much feelings. So how does that affect you in your relationship with your wife? Hello. I'm just thinking. I don't know. Oh. Just, oh. Okay. I'm, I'm just, sorry. I'm just trying to try to put it into words. Okay. I, I guess.
It's all right. You don't have to answer. You can come back. Uh, it's just hard to, to think. Us. I don't know. Now, what, what do you think? If she, if she, is that the reason why she just said, okay, seek help, and me and the kids are gone, and then we'll come back after you get yourself together? Yeah, something like that, yes. Okay, do you do you seek Okay, do you seek daily treatment for your PTSD? No, I get medication. That's paid for by Tricare or the military. Pardon me? Is that paid that that medication is paid for by Tricare or the military, right? The VA. I uh, yeah, I don't pay for medication anymore since I'm a 70% disabled. The VA pays for it all. What's the percentage? Seventy. Wow. So how does that affect you when you try to get a regular job? Do you have to put that on your resume or your well, tell them at the boss, interview? Uh, no, I got once I got back to my rack, I got right to work for this guy I knew, and I'm working in as an autom- automotive technician still. Okay. And he knows everything that's gone, what's happened, and everything. Do you have any ever have any outbursts at work? No. Okay. I try to just stay focused so, on my job. Okay, so you kind of you kind of did the so the rehabilitation that kind of helped you focus, or it just you just like okay, I just need to calm down and I'm not in the war zone and constantly tell yourself that you're in an environment that's not going to hurt you. Right. Okay. And then I have a um, a dog I'm training too, PTSD dog, service dog, German Shepherd. What? For that. They they have dogs with PTSD. Yes, PTSD service dogs. They um you train them to they'll nudge you to calm you down, or if they notice that something's going on, they'll oh, bark okay. at you. They'll distract you and get your attention. Yes, to get you out of that mode you're in. You said earlier that um, when you look under overpass. You, you, earlier, you stated that you, when you look under overpasses, and you, you know, you look, you're aware of your surroundings all the time, um, and you get numb to loud noises. Um, so during the event like the Fourth of July, what does that do to you? Like when you see all the fireworks? Because I heard people say that. That's a trigger as well when they see all the fireworks and hear all the explosions during the Fourth of July or on Happy yes. New Year's. Um, yes, does uh, that, that affect you Yes, after when you, when you first hear it and stuff, yes, it sets you off. But then I start to relax. So I start knowing around that. Okay. Now, does your seventy percent since you've been disabled seventy percent is that majority of the pay that you was receiving while you was in the military? No, it's all based on a pay structure they have set up. It's um, uh, I don't know exactly all the amounts, but like seventy percent you get like what is it? Um, and if you have kids, you get a little extra, and if you're married, so it's like. An extra fifteen hundred and sixty dollars. On month. top of that's just you just so you get ballpark figure fifteen hundred dollars total a month. Yeah. So is that's that enough to take care? Go ahead. 
oh yes, that's enough. It's and then what happens is is you're waiting for two years after you filed your claim, mm-hmm. and they set the amount. You get a back pay, which is pretty nice too. Up thirty thousand dollars. Well, I got thirty thousand, but it was pretty good. Oh wow! Okay, and luckily you didn't have, and you got all your arms and your legs and every all your digits and everything is good. Yeah, thankfully yes. So, do you think the compensation was worth? I mean, do you think you compensated enough, or do you think you're not? You know, they could be doing more. I think the VA is trying harder to improve things. So what they've done for me so far, they've they've done pretty good. I mean, they okay. have some problems, but I think they're trying to cure their problems. Okay. But, well, well, I can't really complain too much about the VA. Pardon me? So that, I can't hear you. Say that one more time. Oh, I, I have, can't really complain too much about the VA. They're trying to fix their, their I know they had some problems and major ones, what was been going on lately. But I've, I've noticed they're trying to fix their problems, and I really don't have much of a complaint about it. Awesome. So I'm kind of glad that um, now when you when you was in the military, did you feel like you was married more so to them and obligated more so to the military than your own family? Uh, yes. So it's like you were talking about the, the you were you joined the military, they didn't put a wife in your sea bag. <laughs> you yeah. weren't issued a wife. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so, military first. But they do, as you know, I think you said you were in the military too. They do have family days, bring your family and have barbecues and stuff. Yeah, I think, so you know, I, to be honest, during those times, I really rather kept my family away from the military because I didn't want, I, it was already a bitter taste in my mouth about it. So I didn't, okay. I didn't join in in those things because I was like, look, I don't want to have anything to do with it. <laughs> so, and you know, but gotcha. but I but I pre- I appreciate you, um, Ron, for for talking to us because um, I wanted to um, I, I really wanted to get your perspective because you're one of the lucky ones that had a an an excellent encounter with the VA. Uh, you served your country, and I thank you for your service. And thank um, you. and yours too. And, and thank you so much. And um and I really my my I really want do anybody have any questions for Ron? Okay. So and and I and hats off to your wife, man, because for her to 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 leave you and stand by your side and then come back to you after she saw everything was better, um, that that's big up to her. Now did now is it any benefits to the wife of the military member when that happens, if she was to leave or stay or whatever, is there any benefits to her? Well, I think if I was active duty and I was married for maybe, I think it's 10 or 15 years, that she'd get a proportion, and I retired, she'd get a proportion, a portion of the retirement. I don't know how much, but I, I didn't retire. Okay, okay. I'm saying why you were so you were only married to her for like uh, two years of that time, right? Yeah. Okay. 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 Well, I appreciate your run. Um, I just wanted to talk to my next guest, which is Keith. Um, originally, I had him right behind Brian's dad. Uh, I mean, JT's dad, Brian. 
uh, because Keith served with JT. He was actually in the truck with JT when he received his first set of injuries. Uh, so, Keith, are are you there? Yes, I'm here. All right, Keith, can you um, well, tell us first, um, thank you for your service also, Keith. Uh, I just wanted to know, um, how did, and do, are you diagnosed with anything? Uh, yes, I have uh, been diagnosed with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, traumatic brain injury, uh, tinnitus, and I have uh, two discs in my uh, lower back. Did you receive those injuries on the same day that, that um, JT received his? No, I received those. On, uh, some were accumulated uh, through military service, uh, and one of them was on the next my next deployment to Afghanistan after uh, Iraq when JT got injured. How long did you know JT? I met him in 2006. After I uh, finished uh, my training at the School of Infantry in my unit with the 2nd Battalion, 7th Marine, I met him, and we were uh, in the same platoon um, that we would deploy with, that we would deploy with, so. Okay. Now, can you take your phone off speaker so I can hear you a little bit better? Uh, can you hear me now? Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Now, when you were in the Marines the first, uh, doing your first tour, were you married at that point? Uh, no, I was not married. Okay. When it, do, Are you married now? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm divorced. Well, when did you get married? I got married after the military. The first, Okay, so you got married after the military, and... What caused the divorce? Was it something other than your your problems that you obtained in the military, or? Oh, it it uh, well, my it was definitely uh, caused by first and foremost, it was caused by both of us. Uh, but the conditions sustained from the military uh, was definitely a leading factor uh, in that. So okay. I was uh, married. I was married in 2011. I served from 2005 to 2009, and I was separated about three months after my marriage. So that quick? I mean, what happened? I know you said it was both of you guys, but did, did having being diagnosed with PTSD did that did that have any contribution to your divorce or? Oh yeah, um, my PTSD and there was some infidelity um, while I was overseas as a contractor uh, in Afghanistan. Um, after I got out of the military, I went back to Afghanistan as a contractor. And uh, when I got back um, after we were married, uh, I found out about some infidelity, and so. Um, that led to the divorce. Okay. Okay. So while you were serving with JT, you so while you you're doing your time in the military uh, or the Marines, you were you were you were the single man. Uh, yes. Okay. So during the time for, that you for met, about JT, half, I was in a relationship with the woman that I would 
eventually marry, uh, but I was uh-huh. I was not married at the time. Oh, okay. And you and you were in Afghanistan when you met JT, right? No, I met him um, stateside uh, when we were training in our unit, and we deployed together uh, in 2007 to uh, the Fallujah area of Iraq. Okay, do you know any other um, veterans? Because I have a whole list of your platoon here, and a lot of them died due to uh, self-injuries. A lot of them, um, I, th- I guess after they came back, um, they had um, they, they uh, committed suicide, and uh, yes. it was from PTSD. Um, um, could you tell me? Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, you go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just agreeing with you with the with what you're saying. Okay, so you are familiar with that then, because sometimes you know you you drop off and and you get once you you are out you kind of lose track of everybody. But I um, found a site that showed uh, your whole um, battalion and the people who were lost and the people who were uh, they killed themselves and people who was lost during the wars. Now. You said you was diagnosed with PTSD. Can you tell me what would drive a person to the point where they feel like they have to commit suicide? Uh, despair. Um, I believe uh, post-traumatic stress disorder uh, leads to despair, and despair is lacking a meaning in life. And many of us, especially the the guys, uh, don't get me wrong, there's many guys who go through the military and do just fine in civilian society. But I feel, and I can only speak for the the frontline guys, the you know infantry guys, combat arms. Uh, many of us come back and we don't uh, have a meaning in life anymore. We we don't think that we do. And it's there's a lot of obstacles that, especially I feel that like the combat arms uh, jobs uh, face, and one of those is continuous wars without a without a conclusion. In a sense, there's there's no end to it, uh, and, and it feels like there's no purpose in what we fought for. If that makes any sense. So you feel kind of worthless and you just did all that for nothing and no one rec- really recognized um, or realized what you've been through? Oh, yes. Uh, I, I think that is – I think that happens at the beginning uh, after a service member gets out. Um, we don't relate to civilians anymore, um, and it's hard for us to – Integrate, you know. I mean, just think of when you were a kid. You know, kids form groups, uh, adults form groups, and you know you feel excluded from this group called, you know, society when you get back. And so that leads to a feeling of despair. Wow. Now, now I stated before that you know that you and JT, you was in the in the car or in the vehicle when J- JT received his injuries. Uh, can you take us through that day, if you don't mind? Uh, of course. Um, actually, it was a, a foot patrol. Uh, 
me and JT and a couple other guys were on uh, we were on watch in in Humvees. We were we had taken over an Iraqi house and we had four Humvees on uh, on vehicle watch where we would look out and provide security for all the Marines that were resting inside the house or on patrol. And uh I was talking with my friend one of my friends uh, and I said, you know, we're getting ready to go on patrol. You want to see if you know JT wants to go? And he actually was—he actually wasn't supposed to go on that uh, actual patrol that we were we were going on after watch. Um, but we we convinced him that you know it would be uh, fun, I guess. You know, we we had just gotten to Iraq, and so we we were we wanted to explore. You know, even though it was dangerous, we wanted to get out and. Uh, do our jobs, and so we actually convinced JT to to go on the patrol, and and to this day, that's why I still feel some fault for his condition. And anyways, uh, the purpose of the patrol was to help uh, an elder, elderly man uh, push his disabled vehicle up a hill, and so we set out on the foot patrol, went a couple hundred meters. I was leading the the patrol as a point man, and I remember walking up to the man, and he had a couple kids around him, and I always kept candy in my my drop pouch, and as I was going to hand the the candy to the kids, uh, gunshots rang out across across a uh, canal from the other side of a canal, and. About ten seconds later, um, I, you know, people down the line, Marines down the line, started screaming. You know, someone's hit, and then I got word that it was JT, and he was about five five men away from me, um, and so we returned fire across across the canal, uh, what, for what seemed like forever. It must have just been five or six minutes, but and we called in. Uh, one of our Marines called in a, a helicopter for evacuation and we got him, you know, wrapped up and bandaged. And that's the last that I saw of him until uh, our deployment ended in August of 2007. And this happened, I want to say March 9th or March 7th of 2007. Wow. Hmm. So did you receive any any injuries like any gunshot wounds? Uh no. Uh back injury sustained in Afghanistan. Uh, but both I, I, both of, go ahead. How did you get the back injury? Uh just carrying a ton of weight all the time. Uh okay. as a grunt, you know, as an infantry guy, we were basically forced to carry at most times, about a hundred pounds on our backs while we're while we're patrolling, you know, including the weapon and ammo and uh, okay. everything that goes along. And then, of course, when you when you take contacts, uh, which actually happens uh, almost every day in Afghanistan, you, you know, you have to run, you have to make decisions, and and right. uh, you usually run or dive. And with all that weight, it takes a toll on on one's body. Oh, okay, okay, I understand. Do anybody have any questions right now? Because I got I got a I got a ton for them. So 
I'm curious um, about the post-traumatic uh, stress disorder. Um, I'm, prior, I'm prior military as well, and I know that um, uh, oftentimes the people uh, that go go to, say, Afghanistan and stuff like that, they're going to be the infantrymen that get that get post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, maybe drivers, uh, maybe um, maybe medics. Um, but my question to you is, 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 do you think that it's part, part of the problem is once you come back from something like that, putting your life on the line and fighting the way you guys do in, in the infantry, and then you look at Americans who are spoiled thinking, we, we think in a spoiled way, do you think that part of the problem is y'all just can't relate to the way that a non-war veteran uh, in America thinks in compared to um, you, meaning that we take for granted a lot of stuff that you guys no longer take for granted? Oh, you think that's the cause of not being able to mess in with us? Hold on one second. Hold on one second. Oh, We good, Rodney? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Say that, ask that last part of your question again, Malcolm. Yeah, I was just wondering if you think that the fact that Americans think in such a spoiled way in coming back from war, you guys have a different understanding and a different gratitude for life and freedom. Uh, do you think that the difference between the way you think and we think is part of the reason you guys can't really get along or, or, or men back into normal society? Oh, certainly, certainly, and um, I can I can speak from experience. Um, in hindsight, or definitely twenty twenty, you know, six years down the road. Um, that's that's exactly you. You hit it right on the nail. Uh, when I came back, um, I almost had like a su- superiority complex where I felt that I was better than civilians, and I actually, you know, hated them. Uh, for what I went through, for the decisions that I made, and um, they were they were never at fault, but it was just my point of view. Uh, it's nothing that they had done, but I didn't realize that, and that's what I think a lot of us young men don't realize, and that it's it's a it's our own mental issue, and I I feel that that is. The military's problem. The military needs to take that uh, to take care of that before they send these young men back out into normal society. Uh, but yeah, you, you're you're right. You're definitely right. Okay, when you um when you got back home, did you were you able to experience? Some of um, JT's recovery process. Do you think, like when when you were, I mean, I knew you got, I know you guys, you still keep up with the family, but were you able to see how his process were was during the time that he was recovering? Uh, in one instance, uh, when I got back in August, um, he was actually there to greet us at the uh, at the field uh, where we came back to on base and. That night, you know, we went and had some beer and and liquor and and pizza, and you know, we had a little party, a coming home party, and uh, it was a good time. And he seemed he seemed in good spirits. He was really happy, and uh, of course, he had a a limp 
Um, he had a, a leg issues. He was still recovering. Um, and after that, he he went back to San Diego, and we were busy training on base, uh, getting ready for the next deployment. So we didn't get to see each other a whole lot. I did see him right before his uh, his current injury uh, in January of 2008. I believe it was uh, January 1st or January 2nd. And uh, me and my fiancé at the time, we went out to a, a bar uh, and met him at a bar. And he actually, he was a good break dancer uh, back in the day. He was a really good break dancer. And okay, he, JT? He did some break yeah, yeah, oh yeah. And wow. he did some uh, some break dancing that night and everything seemed fine and uh about I, I want to say I I don't I can't remember the dates. It seemed like a, a month later or not even a month. Um we were uh, my platoon was in formation on base ready to get off work and uh we all got called in saying that you know JT was in a coma and that he was probably not going to make it. And wow. they released us all to to go, if we wanted, to drive down to San Diego, which was about a, let's say, a three-hour uh, drive, to basically say goodbye because, you know, everybody uh, thought he was going to die. And that's mm. that's basically what they were telling us is, you know, go say your goodbyes. So we drove down there that night, and, you know, he was in a coma, and that's it. <laughs> Do you, do you think believe that, do you think do you think that um do you think that some of the soldiers who end up in um conditions um similar to JT or even JT's condition um you say you were headed you know to literally say your goodbyes cuz he was about to die um and this may be a difficult question but do you think it would have been better if he died versus being in the you know being left in that condition for the rest of his life. Uh, no. No. I, I it definitely not and there there's actually no bias in that in that answer. Um mm-hmm. I he has made considerable progress. Uh, just great progress since that day. And he was in a coma for a long time and you know his his mother uh, his mother never gave up. His mother never never gave up on him. Um, and since then, I mean, he's he's gained control of some of his body. He can talk. Some of his memories are back, and it's it's a com- not a complete 180, but I believe he's still improving. And and you know, I say, why not give him a chance? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So do you think that he wow. was kind of fight, you know, fighting for his mother, you know, um, to you know stay on on this side, kind of just striving to do better, you know, just for her, you know, because yeah, I, I just imagine the flip side if he didn't have, you know, that support system, would he have been as eager, you know, to fight for his life, if you will. Um. I, I I don't think without his mother that we would have seen the results that we have thus far. Because mm-hmm. uh, nobody has the invested interests uh, like she does. So definitely, 
he would be a lot worse. And I'm scared of what would happen to him if his, you know, if his mother's not there anymore. Um, now, do you feel? And I know it. I know yeah. it has taken a toll. Uh, I know it has taken a toll on you know his mother and and Brian. And, uh, but you know she she made a she made a choice um to invest her life into taking care of him and that is a sacrifice but i believe it was a good choice mm. it works yeah uh, marine, marines don't give up so that's good <laughs> all right i got a right. question i got a question um kind of not related to that but you know when people aren't in the military our view uh in reference to losing somebody that died can sometimes be extremely traumatic and and life altering but once you go into the military and you experience death on a daily basis does it change when you come back home you know when somebody dies is it is it more manageable is it, does that does that have the same effect? Oh, oh, it, is that is that all your questions? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Oh, definitely. Um, from personally, I came back emotionless. I saw uh, quite a bit of death, both on friendly and enemy side, and. Um, I came back an emotion, uh, emotionless wreck, and hearing about a death of a family member or a friend uh, just was just not appealing to me. Wow. I did not care, and it's not that it was a choice not to care, but it, my brain was, was trained for that, you know, the experiences that I went to over there uh, just made it a pattern for me to, to, to see that, and it wasn't as significant over here. Uh, it's taken a lot of time and, and work to get back to experiencing human emotion again. Wow. Wow. And this, is, this is something that you know thousands of our, our service members are going through on a daily basis, and many of my friends uh, continue uh, to go emotionless day to day. You know, I just came back from a funeral this last Sunday um, in Kansas. You know, the 20th guy from my unit and one of my close friends committed suicide. He committed suicide? Yes. Wow. Okay, so... So was he married? Was he married? No, he had a girlfriend and an eight-month-old baby. Oh man! Wow. Did now? Did you communicate with him often as you did with JT, or was it just something you heard about and say, "Wow, I got to go to this funeral"? No, no, we were we were we weren't uh, talking every day, but we were good friends. Uh, we had a lot of experiences together, <laughs> and we kept in touch uh, every couple of months. So you had no idea that 
he was thinking of committing that, you know, that act. Uh, no, he was the last person that I would have ever expected. Wow. Yeah, I mean, after Every, talking, I, I went on to, um, you know, I kind of Googled the PTSD, and um, one of the foundations that they have called the Battle Buddy Foundation, um, they say 22 veterans commit suicide daily. 22 daily. Wow. I think that's a big number, man. That's a huge number. And that's also that's a big uh, most likely an uh, underestimate. Uh, that's uh, that's the number provided by the Veterans Affairs Department. Yeah, yeah. So, think, you uh, think I'll, it's I higher than that? Oh, oh yeah. Scrutinize any any information that's provided by the government, but um, I do think it's higher than that. Someone else was just saying, that, agreeing with you. I heard another voice. Is it another caller out there that wanted to speak? Yes, this is David Gray. Uh, I I believe that number is actually higher. The the total from the VA should be definitely scrutinized. I, I speak wow. from experience. I definitely uh, speak from experience. I tried to commit suicide a year a year ago and survived it. Uh, if it wasn't for the local PD in my hometown, I wouldn't survive. Wait a minute. Are you were you a former Marine or you know JT? Yes, I am a former Marine. Former active okay. duty Marine. Did you know JT or did you know Keith? Yeah, JT actually came to my wedding. Oh wow! wow. But I, I didn't I didn't serve with JT though. Uh, I'm just uh, his his mother's friends with my wife. I, I served in a different unit. So are you diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder as well? Yeah, I have a post-traumatic stress disorder and a traumatic brain injury. Now, is your brain injury from your attempt to commit suicide, or is it from No, it's serving? from from servants. I, yeah, I heard you guys talking about uh, divorces and how many wives we had. I've actually had three wives. I'm my third wife now. Oh, I just thought, that, thought that popped that in there as a joke, <laughs> but no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I am on my third wife. Uh, I I divorced twice because of my PTSD, and my first wife left me after my injuries, and then my second wife left me because my PTSD uh, was too much for her to handle. Um, so do you think? Let me ask you a question. Do you think that it's better for a woman to, you know, fall and meet and fall in love with you after you have the, you know, whether it be the PTSD or the brain injury, or do you think it'd be better if she knew you before, like the old David, and then now this new David? Like, what do you think better, would be the better? I think it's better afterwards uh, uh-huh. because she knows what she's getting. Up front, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and and I and I don't hide stuff from her. If I'm having problems, I, I pretty much let her know. She 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 gets me a lot of times. Mm. Uh, but uh, yeah, I didn't mean to chime in and take over the show. It's just uh, no, 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 no. You're not taking no, over. It, you no, no. You you can you you're fine, man. Um, because that we you just made. You just sparked more questions for everybody. 
I committed, attempted to commit suicide a year ago on the 18th of June. Uh, and I, I took uh, sleep pills and blood pressure pills and tried to fall asleep and not, not wake up. Uh, the, the despair is true. Uh, you, uh, a lot, a lot's happened since I got out of the military. Uh, I've had cops pull guns on me for no reason, just cause I was a veteran. I actually started a, a sensitivity course for first responders in Central Ohio because of that to uh, to uh, help them deal with combat veterans, return to combat veterans, so they don't escalate a situation where it needs to be escalated to. So, like, when, you're, when a cop comes at you like he would a normal civilian and try to pull a gun on you, that's just going to piss one of us off or escalate us to a point where it gets to a point where we can't do it anymore. And it gets out of hand real fast, quick, fast, and in a hurry. Mm. Well, uh, that's why I started that sensitivity course. It's called CIT training. Wow. Wow. Good work. And then, mm. but uh, my fian- my wife, she actually lost her custody of her kids because of my PTSD. They used it. They used against us in court. Wow. That's they can crazy. do that. Wow. They, yeah, minute, they actually they, they actually used it against her in court uh, because uh, it was an unsafe living environment for her kids. Well, what kind of wow. evidence that was was any issues going on in, as far as that they can point at, or just they just said, "Hey, no, sir." He the has, only I never been arrested, never been in trouble with the law. Uh, the only time I had guns pointed at me by police is because they responded to my house alarm going off, and they knew I had weapons inside the house, and they were too scared to come in. Uh, when I exited my house, they pulled guns on, my, on me just to make sure everybody's safe and stuff. So it, it wasn't it wasn't like anything that I did that got me in trouble, and I've never been in trouble by the law. Mm. Uh, but uh, they used it against her in court with the guardian line because he knew I had PTSD and it was brought up in court, and he and they said they deemed it an unsafe work, living environment for the kids. So let me ask a question. When you went to court, well, you weren't the one actually in court. Your wife no, was, sir. right? Yeah, my wife was, and uh, this was prior. This was even prior to us even being married that she lost custody of her kids. Uh, they uh, they basically, since she moved in with me, uh, they they. Uh, I wasn't even in the courtroom. They brought me in there under false pretenses. They wanted me to talk about the kids and what's been going on with the kids, but then they attacked me on my PTSD. Mm, wow. Oh, and they they saw they saw how you responded to yeah, anger. Yeah, and I and I basically they wanted me to sign a release of information to them, and I said no. You can stick it. I'm not going to give you any release of information, and they ended up running with it as far as using it against my wife in court. I'm so in so in essence your wife lost her kids because of you. Yes. Wow. 
Mm. And, and, and what they, did that do to the marriage? Well, we're we're still together. Uh, it's a struggle. We 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 kind of you know run with it. She knows it's nothing that I have any control over, and it was it was kind of BS the way they did it. Uh, but I mean, it is what it is. I can't change it. And we're trying to make it fun for the kids when we do have them for visitation. But that's the best we can do. So yeah. she. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Ryan. I mean, do you do you feel guilty for her losing custody of her kids, like to any degree? Yes, I do. Yeah. Uh, I definitely do every day. Uh, but when we when I see her kids every other weekend, it it uh, helps me out because I, you know, uh, they they look up to me in a way. Uh, and they they are more uh, they they're more in tune because they uh, her mom their mom told her them all about my past and they they basically are you know can you say again Shonda no, go ahead. they just get it they just get my PTSD they understand it like enough to where they know if I'm having problems and they kind of help out around me. Awesome. Wow. Do y'all have kids together? No, uh, we we can't have kids together. Okay. Um, you can't because of your condition, or can't because of hers? Uh, because she she well she got fixed, so no. Okay, <laughs> okay, that's. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey man, it's real talk. It is what it is. That's man. real talk. It that's what right. it is. Uh, but. Uh, the, I, I'm just speaking from experience as far as someone actually did it. Uh, I didn't have anybody. My my family disowned me after I got back from overseas. And, the um, you know, coming from citizen high to citizen low really fast kind of takes its toll on you. And, you know, I didn't have anybody come to the hospital even when I survived it. So it was kind of, I was even planning on doing it again until I met Shonda. Uh, mm-hmm. I met Shonda a, a month after I, committed, I t- attempted my suicide. Mm. I wish I knew JT back then because JT would have had my butt. Uh, he's he's a stubborn guy. He, uh, he talked to me a little bit about it, and he basically called me an idiot. Um, and, and and that's just the way his personality is. So when you guys were talking about JT uh, trying to live and stuff, and I, I just said that's I said to myself that's JT's personality. He just he just won't give up, and that's just the way he is. And I've only met him, you know, one actually two times, uh, one time prior to my marriage and then at the wedding itself. I actually got him drunk at the wedding. So, <laughs> so that, In his uh, current condition, he can get drunk? Well, I, I was more yeah. of like a guy that took him under my wing and got him drunk. <laughs> I, I don't think his parents knew what was going on until it was too late. Oh, oh no, we We knew. <laughs> uh, did you guys find out? No, I was standing right there. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> hey Brian. Oh by, uh, by the way, David, you got the better end of that marriage. 
Yes, I did. Mm. Uh, that's beautiful. But uh, I, uh, I had, I had, I had a long, long way to go. I wish I learned a long time ago what I know now. Because uh, when I first got out, I was a lot like how the other individual that I was talking. I believe his name is Keith. I was a yes. lot like him, where I was basically, you know, headstrong, and I looked down on a lot of civilians. And I basically thought I was better than them, and it got to a point where I realized, uh, you know, I have my faults. I have, yeah, you know, I have my shortcomings, where you know I can barely go outside without checking rooftops and windows. And mm. they're, they're talking and about, you know, good. Now, do you do you do you go to daily treatments, weekly treatments, or they just say, okay, your treatments are over? Do you get so many treatments, or how does that I work? I actually go. I go to weekly treatments through the VA. Uh, they've been doing really good with me lately. Um, they um, since I've been back at the VA, I stopped going to the VA for a while because uh, because of another reason. But I ended up uh, coming back to the VA. And since I've been at this new VA, they've been doing really good by me, actually. And they've been taking the bull by the horns as far as trying to take care of my PTSD needs. Um, my wife is now my caregiver, and she she basically is my my brain. She helps. She double taps me to make sure I do what I need to do if I need to go to the VA for some reason. Now you're the mm. second person that said that the VA um, take take you know. Well, you're the third person that tonight that said the VA did a really good job. Well, they didn't Keith, always. They they didn't always, and because uh, when I when I actually left my second wife, um, they turned their back on me. I told them flat out I was going to be homeless uh, in about three months. I'll I'll be homeless. And they didn't do anything about it, uh, and I, I couldn't do anything about it because it was the terms that were made through my divorce. Uh, I was forced to pay on my ex-wife's house while I was homeless, and uh, that made me homeless. And I was homeless for about six months, six to seven months maybe, maybe a little longer. Uh, and... Uh, when the whole time I was a homeless, I I got records going to the VA in here, anywhere from Ohio and even Oregon, where I'm originally from. I went to the VA there too, and uh, trying to get help uh, to get off the streets, and nothing could be done because of the terms that were set through my divorce. Mm. And, and so you were getting a check. Say again. So you was getting a you was diagnosed with PTSD. Now you're receiving a check. And yes, sir, I was receiving okay. a check even when I was homeless. But the problem was, they appointed a fiduciary over me, uh, which was an attorney, and the attorney stole guardianship over me through probate court, and he delegated the money accordingly. And the way the way he did it was seventy five percent in his pocket and twenty five percent to my needs. What? Yeah, mm. that, uh, I just recently removed him as my guardian through uh, probate court. Actually, that was today. 
Mm. I, I went to probate court and just removed him as my guardian today, actually. But uh, he he uh, he was found to where he was overpaying himself and not taking care of my needs as much as his needs were taken care of. So you wasn't pro- provided with any assistance with the you know your reading of through, your through the legal battles. No, I wasn't provided any assistance through the legal battles. That do they that, have? Uh, yeah. Do they have that kind of service? Uh, I believe they got free legal aid, but they don't get involved in guardianship cases. Uh, the V the VA doesn't get involved in guardianship cases or probate cases. And, and mm-hmm. on top of that, like the free legal aid, they said they wouldn't touch me because I make too much money on paper, even though I was only receiving, I want to say, six hundred dollars a month. Wow. And you know and. I, I wasn't like getting, and that was all. That was like my take home at that time, and uh, I I wasn't have I didn't have any housing. I was living out of a vehicle at the time. Wow. Now, now Keith, I'm gonna come back to you in a second, David. Keith, was your experience the same as his, or was it quite different? Uh, no, I actually had a pretty positive experience uh with the VA so far um, but I I just don't agree with the policies uh that they have implemented um that have affected uh, many of my friends uh, people that I know um it's one of one of my concerns is uh medication um, they are they are they are many psychiatrists in the VA are handing out the uh, the medication, you know, to these veterans like candy. Um, they're mixing SSRIs, uh, which are, you know, intense, um, you know, uh, intense medication, black box warning medications for, uh, you know, PTSD, depression, etc. And uh, I have a little story about one of my friends who was, uh, you know, mixing medications that were prescribed from the VA. Um, it was actually uh, a, su- a suicide that happened in 2013. Uh, uh, one of my friends, before before he committed suicide, lined up all his medications from the VA and took a picture of it, you know, before he put a gun to his head. What? Yeah. What? Um, and uh, they've actually, you know, at one at one point, I was on six different medications, um, not all SSRIs. I was on two, um, and uh, some al- uh, alcoholic uh, medication, um, among others. Uh, but I mean, I was just just taking six medications at a time. Uh, was definitely rough. Um, I'm actually prescribed uh, medication right now, and uh, I'm not taking it because I began to feel uh, suicidal uh, while taking it. So you think? And the only, now, and the only way, the only way that I can continue being compensated for uh, my injuries sustained in, in the military is to continue receiving the medication. 
So now you open a no, uh, another book. Um, it seems like, from what you just stated, that they're prescribing uh, medications to get you to commit suicide so they won't further have to continue to pay you. Oh, uh, well, you can, I mean... It's a bold statement. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can come to that conclusion, and, and you might be right, but you look on any of these black box uh, medications, and, and they'll tell you, you know, <clears throat> young people may experience uh, suicidal thoughts. Um, it's it's on many of these depression uh, medications that they're prescribing us. Hmm. So they really wow. don't. They really don't have a a a cure. They what they do is just medicate it with 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 whatever. It, that's what it sounds right. like to me. There's no there's that's no end in sight. They yeah, it's just you know the money's in the medication, I guess, and because it seems like you're taking these pills and you don't take them, you're not taking them now because of the side effects. But you sound perfectly fine to me. Right. Without taking the medication. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So, Exercise and diet, you know, uh, has helped me the most. Um, yeah. Uh, now, medication, he, he, being medicated is when I felt my worst. Really? Wow. Yeah. yeah. So it's not helping? No. It did, it did not help me. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I've gotten the same answer from, from several veterans, and some say that it does help them, but that's those are few and far between. So now, when you when you get a job or when you come off, come out of the military, and you you know maybe it's enough, maybe it's not enough, but you have to do something. You just can't sit around taking medication. So you have to go out and get a job. Do you have to put that you're taking medications? Do you have to let your employee know or potential employee know that you're PTSD? Do you have to know? Uh, alert them of your medical condition, your military background. Do you have to let them know just in case of an episode? You know, do you have to let them know what's going on in your life? No, there's a a federal law passed, uh, you know, allowing you to conceal that that information. Um, now, if you're going, it's it's different if you're going for um, a federal job. Uh, they may ask for that information, such as a job with the FAA or possibly FBI, et cetera. But any public or private uh, job, I mean, you do not have to give the information out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because in, Brian, in Brian's case, he has a top-secret clearance, or he had top-secret clearance positions, and um, I know from filling out several resumes when I was looking for a job, they asked if I had any injuries, mentally or physical injuries, uh, due to uh, due to service uh, time and time done in service. And I, I remember seeing that question, and I'm like, and the first thing I thought about was, dang, dang, thank God I didn't get no PTSD or stuff, something like that. You know, so so because I would have to disclose that, and that could be that could have been used against me, I believe. Well, they ask, but you don't have to tell. Mm. Oh, okay. And it okay. also depends on 
what job you're you're going for. So, what do you think that, uh, what or who is to blame for the challenges veterans face, and how? Uh, I think it's a, a a fundamental problem with the military. Uh, I, I really do think that many of the, the challenges that we do face in civilian society can be prevented um, at the military level before these before these guys are discharged. Um, you know, I feel that we're we're well. The military is very very good at training uh, young men and women to go to war, and very very horrible at, at getting them back into society. Um, why why do we mean it? You said wait, say that say that last statement one time one more time, please. I feel that the military lacks in getting uh, service members back into society. And you talking about after after the the injuries, or are you talking about just like? Because I remember when I was getting out of the military, they had this thing called TAP TAP class, and that's like the last correct. week. Oh, okay. Do they still have that? Yes, and it's and it's still one week long, and it's uh, it's useless. Oh, okay. any any veteran will tell you that. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't need it because I already had a job before last week. But yeah, uh, I, a lot of people told me that too. It was it was um, it was useless, and I and yeah. but I didn't use it, so I can't speak for it myself. But I mean, you, you have to you have to you know think deeply about it and think about who the military recruits. Um, <laughs> They're, they're not recruiting well-connected uh, businessmen or, you know, well-connected people. They're recruiting mm-hmm. uh, usually lower lower class, lower middle class, middle class. And mm-hmm. when these guys get out, uh, nothing has changed. They've been disconnected from civilian society for the most part and don't have any connections to civilian society. And it's that much harder for, for them to... Uh, get into a career. And so a lot of us feel uh, just lost when we get out. And there have been in recent years several, you know, pushes to to combat that, but there there wouldn't be a need for all these agencies and and, and all these dollars being spent if it was taken care of in the military. For instance, uh you know, I did two deployments uh and after my last deployment in 2008, I had a whole almost a whole year where uh that that could have been used for training, for job training, uh for uh networking. But my job, and I kid you not, my job was to pick up trash on base um for for a whole year. And I did not have uh due to the 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 strict requirements of the military, I still had to uh, show up as if I was in my job occupation that I was no longer in. So therefore, I had no time to to do any of those 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 things uh, to prepare to get out. So so you had to show up from seven in the morning to three in the afternoon. No, it was it was, it was longer days, and it was about uh, six to five, six a.m. to five p.m. Well, so could you would have went to school? Could you um, did you have a choice to go to school at night or 
because I, the reason the reason why I'm asking because you know my days used to be long as well, but I I had to fight for the time to go to college at night and it was difficult. But in the military, tried it's best not to give me any room to go to school. But it was the choice that I had to make because I knew I had I, I knew I had to get out. I knew I wanted to get out. So was that was that an option? to go to school or do you think military members kind of corner themselves when they don't do uh, take advantage of those other options? I'm sure it, it could have been an option for me um, if I would have known about those opportunities. And uh, But there was there was nobody, you know, people are, are work off influence, you know. I, if, if you're not influenced by something, then, then you probably won't do it. And that opportunity never presented itself for me. Um, you know, okay. nobody was there to say, uh, you know, there wasn't a representative on base to say, hey, this is what you need to do to get connected out here, you know. So okay. it, it, I do take accountability for for that, that, uh, you know, maybe I could have done done something from, you know, 6 p.m. to, to 10 p.m., but no, I didn't know about that opportunity. Out. I didn't okay. know about that opportunity, and therefore it didn't exist. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yeah, the now, opportunity were you married? for me was. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't even try to. But the opportunity was there, but they they didn't really let it be known that often. Especially if you have the workload with the Marine Corps, then they add the classes on top of that. It's it became almost an unrealistic task to go to school. And that's what I was told, too, about the Marines. I mean, your work day is so busy with Marine stuff, you don't have any time but a little bit, and you want to use that time to just relax and let your hair down and socialize a little bit more because you don't get the opportunity to do that during the day. And I've heard that about Marines. But now, Keith, were you married while you was in the, Mar- while you was in the uh, Marines? No, no, I was I was in a serious relationship, though. What happened mm-hmm. with that relationship? What happened? Oh, uh, well, as soon as I got back from Afghanistan, um, she got pregnant and uh, had my first child in in 2000, November of 2009. And that's uh, the month that I was discharged. And we moved. We were not married at the time. We moved to uh, Texas uh, upon uh, my discharge. <laughs> And I got a job, uh, a managerial position through a connection that was just uh, was out of luck. Um, and so I took, and I did that for six months. And everything uh, seemed to be going well the first three months that I was out of the military. And, at, you know, I, I didn't show signs of, of PTSD, uh, I felt fine until about the three-month mark, and then my world just started uh, crumbling down. I, I, I can't even, at that point in my life, I couldn't explain to you what was going on with me. Uh, but now I do know uh, what was going on. It was, you know, uh, I was not in the environment that I was used to, uh, and I didn't know how to adjust to the new one, um, you know, even though I had experienced all those traumatic events in 2007, 2008, and I went through the rest of my service without any symptoms of PTSD, it was because I was around the the guys 
that experienced the same thing. So I felt, you know, I, I was in my zone. But it, it 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 appeared when I, you know, came to the civilian world. So okay, um, I worked I worked here in the states for six months, and I just couldn't. I really couldn't handle it anymore here. Um, I just felt this urge to go back to Afghanistan, uh, to you know, just to go overseas and be in that military environment again, because that's all I had known uh, for the last four years, and it was a big influence on my life. And so I quit my job and uh, took a contracting job and did that for about ten months. And that was the end of your relationship with your baby, with your baby's mother. No, no. I got back. Um I I quit I quit there and came back to start college. And everything the relationship uh was going pretty good. I was still showing uh, at some at sometimes at some points uh severe symptoms of PTSD and I also became a a pretty bad alcoholic um on top of that. And, you know, several months later, we actually got married. And about three months later, uh, we separated. Right after you got married. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, the one thing that we haven't heard all night, and we're coming to the close close of the the evening in about a half hour, and I want to do something a little unorthodox. We use a... We usually don't have women on the show, but for this show, I just had to get the other side um, of the coin, and and I wanted to talk to a wife of a husband with PTSD because all night I have heard PTSD, 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 but I haven't heard what the wives actually go through from a perspective of the wife. So I have a guest. Um, I'm going to call her Stephanie. Uh, Stephanie, are you on the line? Oh, yeah, I'm here. But it's a, yeah, I'm here. Okay. Um, now, could you tell me about a little bit about your husband's military background? Um, yeah, he was an infantry um, platoon officer. Um, he crossed over the border into Iraq in 2003. Um, so he was a Bradley platoon leader, um, and he was, uh, he came back with a traumatic brain injury, PTSD, and a back injury. Okay. And, and how does, again, I, I said it just a few minutes ago, how does the military determine when somebody has PTSD in your husband's case? Because it seems different according to the individuals it, it one individual said that um they their awareness their awareness sentences are heightened they're looking over the over their head uh, when they cross under bridges or 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 they they're waking up in the middle of the night so in your husband's case how did you determine or uh, he determined that it was something wrong with him when he returned home I don't think either of us necessarily determined it. Um, I think that that came after several months, if not years, of just watching him deteriorate, to be perfectly honest. Um, and um, I think our experiences with the VA were uh, perhaps a little bit different than some of the others. Um, 
our process with them took almost six years before we got through to anybody um, to really help us understand what was going on with him. So um, it, it, it took a long time. Um, it started off, you know, you get, they get what they call debriefed. In my husband's case, it was in Kuwait when he came back over the border. <clears throat> it was a couple of days of quote-unquote debriefing. Um, and we as wives got debriefed as well. Um, here are the things to look out for. Um, and in a lot of ways, um, you know, my husband sort of was stereotypical in those things. He took his knife with him everywhere he went. Um, he hated stopping at stoplights and stop signs because uh, if you were getting shot, it was such stereotypical things, the things that we were warned about that they weren't particularly um, egregious to me. I wasn't overly concerned because we were told, don't worry, these things will come up, they're normal. So um, we we sort of ETS out of the military. Um, we went into civilian life, and um, even though his anger got worse and things got worse, um, you know, Lev sort of moves on. And when you're consistently told by the VA, when, when you call them and say, "Hey, you know, I think I think things are going badly," and they keep telling you, "No, you're fine," um, you move on. That's the military. You, you're you're taught both as a wife and a soldier to soldier through. Um, so we spent probably a good seven years of soldiering through before my husband completely broke down. Um, and it was hell. So, um, you know, I, I think it's each, each situation is different. It probably depends on a military hospital. It probably depends on the VA hospital. In our case, it took years. So oh, first, are you on speakerphone? Yeah. Here, I'll okay, take it off. Take... I didn't know if it was. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I can hear you a lot better. Okay. Now, I'm um, I'm asking you this. These are some serious questions because you know, um, you when I called you the other day, and we mm-hmm. spoke on the phone, you had an incident that happened that day. Do you care to share that? It was a personal incident, or no? When when you had to rush off the phone with me because you had an incident. Oh well. Because... Yeah, I mean, I can give very vague. It's just, it's, it's, um, yeah, um, you know, a lot of times what happens with PTSD, although the, the, what what makes me hesitant to share this particular incident is just simply that um, it really isn't the norm. And I, I hate to share this incident only because it just continues to push the stereotype of PTSD, which is really not what PTSD is about. So, um I, I can I can briefly state that we just had an incident of I'm part of a support group and we had an incident of domestic violence within the support group um, against one of the women in our group. But um, to be perfectly honest, um, that's not PTSD. Um, that's not even close oh, to what so PTSD that, is. PTSD okay, and I, and I, for those of us who are spouses within it, and that's part of the reason why I'm on this call is um, what it, that's really such a small percentage of what of what it is. Um, we what we as spouses and caregivers of the wounded warriors are is we're fighting for our, our husbands. We're we're fighting against that stereotype every single day. Um, we were there to help that particular person in that in that instance, but that was a wounded warrior that was broken beyond what we are normally accustomed to. Okay. 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 Now I just I just wanted you to say that so no one can say that. PTSD and domestic violence go hand in hand. 
I they wanted absolutely to get that don't. out of the way. Okay. Absolutely not. Okay, so absolutely thank you not. for that. That isn't to say that there aren't circumstances where that certainly happens. Um, PTSD and anger go hand in hand. PTSD um, and hypervigilance go hand in hand. PTSD and fear go hand in hand. Um, But to say PTSD and violence or PTSD and domestic violence go hand in hand is an absolutely incorrect stereotype. Okay. So can I I ask you a question, Um, ma'am? How long have you been married? 15 years. Okay. I've been married 15 years as well. Oh, well, congratulations. Congratulations to you as well. <laughs> July July 10th, 1999. I remember it like it go. was yesterday. I should say we're going but, on 15 years. It'll be 15 years in December. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right there. You're right there. You'll make it. <laughs> um, but I, I just want to ask you a quick question just regarding, um, and your husband did not have PTSD when you got married, correct? No, no, absolutely not. No, we were married in um, 2000. He went to Iraq in 2003. Okay, got you. Because um, David, the other gentleman, um, you know, he made a comment that, you know, his current wife knew what she was getting into. Now, Hmm. in uh, Mm -hmm. December of 2000, um, did you ever imagine that, this will be, you know, what you would be going through 15 years later? No, absolutely not. Um, of course not. I don't think any of us, I don't even think that um, probably David's wife could have really fully comprehended from um, truly what, what, it, what every day is a different challenge for those of us who fight this battle with our wounded warriors. Um, we don't know what it feels like from their end, of course. Um, so, but they also don't necessarily understand what it is from ours. Um, no, there's no way at all I could have known what this battle was going to be like, not even close. And there are no textbooks, there are no lectures, there are no, um, there's nothing that can tell you until you're part of it, except for the women who've been through it before or the husbands who have wives who've been through it before. There's just, those are the only people that can help you. Beyond that, no, there are there there's just absolutely not. So so let me ask you just a follow up question briefly. Um there was you know, there was comments that other other women left, other wives left their husbands. So, you know, my question to you is why did you stay? Um you know, speaking for myself, um I knew my husband before. I knew him very well before. Um, and um, I have amazing memories of who he was before. That said, you don't necessarily have to know the person before to be able to see the human side of them, of what's inside. Um, All of these soldiers who suffer with PTSD and traumatic brain injuries and other mental illnesses from combat are still human on the inside. They're fighting demons that... um, are huge, and um, the people who end up finding the human side of them, um, it's kind of a bond that's hard to understand. And when you when you love that that side, when you see that side, um, it's a a part of you you can't let go of of just trying really hard to save that part of that person. 
Um, I don't think that the wives who walk away are, are weak by any means. Sometimes there's nothing that you can do. Sometimes your only choice is to walk away. Um, sometimes the battle is just too hard. But mm. when you see hope, you're going to keep going. And in my case, there's been continued moments of hope, and so you just keep moving forward. Um, that's kind of what it's about. Um, we all have our own paths in this journey, and each beast mm. is different. And each day is different, and you just kind of put one foot in front of the other and take deep breaths and move forward. I just wanted to ask a final question, then you can go ahead. Um, go ahead. Tony. Did, go ahead. Um, were you ever in the military? No. Because you sound like a fighter. I mean, you, <laughs> I mean, you, um, I mean literally. I think any I of mean, us, you, yeah, it's funny. I think any of us who have been on this journey of, being um, a caregiver of a wounded warrior, that's what we become. Um, it's interesting because in, in a discussion with my veteran the other day, um, it's kind of what he said. He said to me, you know, you've changed so much. Um, we become fighters. Um, we don't know any different. We have to fight every day, not just for um, the survival of our veteran, but the survival for ourselves. You know, we lose so much of who we are. So we have to kind of every single day try to find that little part of us that's that's us and remind ourselves, okay, you know, you're still in there somewhere. Um, We have to fight the VA every day. Um, I am grateful to hear tonight on the phone that some veterans had good experiences with the VA. Um, I would wonder if a lot of these good experiences don't come from a massive amount of fighting from their caregiver because I would imagine it did. I know I spend hours on the phone, sometimes weekly, sometimes it's hours daily, fighting with the VA, and my husband has no clue that I've been doing that. So, um, yeah, we become fighters of a different sort. We've never held guns in our hands. Um, We've never had boots in the sand, and trust me, I thank God every day who have never experienced that horror. Um, and I'm grateful to my husband and to every other soldier, sailor, marine, every other airman, everyone, for for offering me that blessing. But we are fighters in our own right because it is a battle every day to get through what we have to get through just mm-hmm. to, to survive. So, yeah, we are fighters. Yeah, and thank you for um, that. I, well, I, don't, I don't know if you became a fighter. I believe that you've always been a fighter, just listening to you. Um, People have abandoned their spouse for less than what you've gone through. And I believe that you are a role model for for wives, for women that, that, that have to deal with certain things, but you get it. You get the marriage vows. You know, for better, for worse, for sickness, for health, you actually get it. You know, and I understand that some women may find it unbearable to deal with that, and they have to go. I heard you say that. But I just want to say thank you for coming on and showing the women that may listen to this that, you know, at the end of the day, it's a marriage vow. You know, mm. you signed It up. is, and I appreciate that's very, I thank you, and I appreciate that. But I have to say I'm one of, I mean, in, in my work group alone, um, there are 1,200 of us. Um, and um, 
we fight like hell every day, and I am speaking yeah. my words and my exact thoughts might not be their exact words, but I am one of many. Um, and um, I see women that are fighting much tougher battles than mine every single day, yeah. and I'm in awe of who they are. So um, by comparison, my battle is small. Yeah, well, I mean, from what I'm hearing, it's a big battle, and you're definitely handling your business. And it's music to our ears, because we, we're on this line every week, you know what I mean? And what we hear about is divorce, and, and when people break up, it's not even close to what you're going through. And you guys are handling it, and you guys are 1,200 women strong, and I love it. Well, we do it because Amen we do it for each other. <laughs> we do it without yeah. them. They are, they, we are sisters and <laughs> You know, they, the, the military says leave no man behind. And while we do have male caregivers that are doing incredible jobs, too, I certainly don't want to not give a shout-out to them. Um, give them a shout-out. Yeah, they deserve it. But we say no, leave no woman behind. We don't either. We're there for each other. And I, I couldn't – I couldn't. there are mornings where I couldn't get up without them. So yeah. we are yeah. we are strong because of each other. Because of each other. And it's good because yeah. it's, good. It's, it's silent because I've never heard about it. This is the first time I've ever heard about it. So you guys do it. Without we're a silent group. We I, I say all silent the time group? we're underground and we, we sometimes have to be, but we work there's there's power in what we do. Um yeah. we're a knowledgeable, powerful group if we need to be and um even if that power is just to keep one of us going one day when one of us feels like giving up, um it's amazing how we'll sur- we'll surround each other and say, you know, you, you can make it one more day. Um and there's also power in the moments where we have to tell each other it's time to let go. Um because Sometimes, you know, we can't, as much as we want to hang on, there are moments where it's okay, no matter how seriously one wants to take their vows, or or um, there are moments where the beast becomes too big, and um, you yeah. have to let go in order to save yourself, and so we have to be there for one another for that as well. So um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's tough, but, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, when, when someone stands up to serve, we do our best to stand beside them for as long as possible. But um, there is no, um, we don't look down on any caregiver who's fought the battle long and hard sure, and sure, sure, has sure. just eventually lost it. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you do. I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I just want to kind of stop you right there because I think it's quite interesting that you talk about you know your group is that y'all are fighters of a different sort um you talked about the sisterhood and you also talked about how you you know it's, it's sort of a silent underground group but yet you're powerful mm-hmm. and it's so i don't know if it's ironic is the right word but you know we here are fighters of a different sort. Um, and we're brothers. Some of us have, have never met eye to eye. And, <laughs> right. You know, we, we're a silent uh, undergrad. A lot, a lot of people don't know about us as well, but, you know, we're here every week, um, you know, and whether it be PTSD, domestic violence, infidelity, uh, a sickly parent, cancer, I mean, just different things that affect the marriage, we fight. Absolutely, sure. And, and I tell you that, you know, my my Tuesdays, we meet on here on Tuesdays, are pretty ridiculous. And 
probably about 75% of the time, I don't want to show up. And yeah. I and I have to be here, you know. It's not it's not <laughs> optional for me, but you know. And, I, and I'm and I'm being honest, you know. My my Tuesdays, I have three little kids, and you know, I have a wife and everything. And um, you know, we have uh, you know, we don't have the challenges of PTSD uh, by by any means, but it, it's rough. And right. you know, I, I would just tell you, you know, be encouraged. Um, you know, because just hearing your story, it is powerful and. You know, God knows, you know, um, what you're doing and what your group is doing. So, you know, I would say, just, you know, just be encouraged, stay in the fight, because I know you've blessed me tonight, and I know you've blessed many others just with your testimony, because it's just, it's it's not the, the opposite where you could have rolled out and, and left yep. your husband high and dry and didn't... Uh, you know, honor your marriage vows. So I, I appreciate you being here and, and sharing. And, well, and, and thank you, and thank you for also allowing our incredible veterans and and the um and Chris and her husband and everyone to speak as well. It's an, it's an incredibly that um important topic. Um, yeah. It's, people need to hear. It's it's the it's the ugly of war, and people people need to hear. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Thanks. Yeah. Wow. 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 And uh, I got a couple of more questions for you, sure. um, uh, Stephanie. Um, where where is your husband right now? He's in in, in inpatient. Um, what is that? He's been he's um, currently receiving treatment for um, PTSD and traumatic brain injury, and he has been there since July, um, and should be released in early December. So mm. the the other guys, um, Keith, David. Or um, JT, well, JT didn't have post-traumatic stress. So, um, Ron, none of those guys went to inpatient. So, what's the difference between um, your husband and and those guys? Well, I don't. I'm not positive that the other ones haven't been in. Um, I, I don't. I'm not entirely sure um, whether they have or have not. But um, I, um, I think it's. I think um, each person's different. I think each challenge different is different. I think each need is different. Um, well, how, I, mean, I mean, I guess I guess I want to ask: How do they determine who gets inpatient and who um, gets outpatient? I, I like to correct uh, well, you. Well, in my husband's case, session. this is his fourth inpatient stay. So, <laughs> um, oh, his fourth. Yeah. Um, you know, I I think it uh, it. It, it's severity. It's probably um, how well you're handling the home life. It's probably, um, you know, in my husband, this last inpatient stay came after um, a 72-hour um, suicide hold. So uh, it's, it's sort of usually after those type of things, inpatients mandated. Um, so it depends so on the episode. It can. I think, you know, it really also can depend, unfortunately, the way that the VA works. It can depend on, on the area in which you live. Um, VA hospitals vary drastically on their quality depending on where you are. So um, if you are near a really high-quality VA hospital and they recognize your symptoms early on and recognize the necessity of an inpatient, they'll press it earlier. Other areas, it'll take a long time before they get you in. It also can depend on the quality of the inpatient. One of the inpatient stays my husband had was absolutely awful. And if I had to do it all over again, I would have never had him go in the first place. It, it, it's just, 
it, my personal opinion of the VA is it's sometimes like throwing darts, um, and it, it's like throwing darts in the dark. You'll, you might hit a bullseye. Most of the time, you're going to hit a random part of the wall, um, and you know you hope to get lucky sometimes. Um, I, this last inpatient stay my husband has had has seemed to be successful, so my hope is that this was a, was a bullseye, but you never really know. Right. Someone was going to correct me, David. I believe it was you. Were you, yeah, were you going I, to actually, come? I, I actually was inpatient for a little while. Uh, I did okay. the inpatient. I did inpatient in Oregon. Okay, so when you did, so you, they determined that you was inpatient because of. Uh, I had a violent flashback in Oregon, and uh, I uh, had. It basically, they they gave me under uh, they took me to the regular hospital, and the regular hospital released me to the VA, and the oh, VA uh, okay. had me as inpatient for quite some time until I was released. Okay, okay, I'm I'm sorry, then I stand corrected. Um, uh, that's fine. That's fine. Okay, I just so, didn't talk about it. Oh, okay, okay. So let me ask this question. When Stephanie, when they say you're fixed, how do you know he's fixed if this is his fourth visit as an inpatient? My personal opinion, I don't think you're ever fixed with PTSD. Um I think it's a lifelong um battle. Um I don't I think what it what the what the op, what the hope is that he's learned some coping mechanisms, but um, you know my 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 experience with veterans is that um, these battles are huge. Um, they are a group of men and women that just it's it's so extraordinary what they have to to walk over and it's it's like landmines around them every day. It's just they're not literal anymore. They're not mental. So the hope is is that these inpatient stays will teach them to um, find ways to block mentally block these landmines or focus on something else. Um, personally, I. I that challenge seems insurmountable to me. So I held veterans in the highest respect because it just seems like an unbelievable challenge. Um, so I don't know. It, it's it's sort of like a, it's a hope and a prayer. Um, and I'm holding a lot of faith in my husband and holding faith in, in God and holding just, uh, it's, a, it's a hope and a belief that my husband's a fighter. Um, he's a soldier. Soldier fight. So it's just my belief mm-hmm. that these soldiers, Marines, you know, our military men fight, and my belief is he's just going to keep fighting. So we okay. Get so, so David, I'm, I'm coming back right back to you, stepping in a second. David, was it a time limit on your inpatient stay, or does it go by? Do they do they kind of like look at you and observe you and say, "I think you're ready," or is it an indefinite stay, or is it just a okay six months here and we'll let you out, two months there we'll let you out? In my situation, it was it was more like they were trying to get me out of there as soon as they got me in because there were so many veterans coming in. Uh, in in that in that state where I was at, uh, there was only one hospital for the whole state. And that's Oregon, and 
so there's a lot of veterans in there that need VA care. So uh, okay. I, was, I was there for a while. It seemed like I wanted to get me out of there as soon as I got in. Okay. So, Stephanie, was your you, – so you said your husband been there four times. After he came back the first time, were you the one that said, nope, you're not done? And the second time, and were you the one that said, no, nope, I don't know what these guys are doing, but you're not done? I mean, was it how, – how did he no, end up in um, Yes and no. Um, the first time um, the VA – the first time was private care because the VA wouldn't listen. So um, we put him in a private care facility that was probably not a smart move because veterans – not, as my husband explained to me later, especially at the early stages, not being around each other. Um, my husband trying to heal around people who <laughs> didn't have the same ex- combat experiences that he did um, was um, probably more traumatic for him. So uh, that first inpatient stay was really a, a, a bad move on all of our part, but the VA wasn't listening, so we just sort of grabbed at what we could. You had to do something. Um, you had to do something. Yeah, but it was a fire and a huge mess. Um, the second inpatient stay was um, my husband, after literally almost seven years of, of me begging the VA for help, they put my husband finally, rather than getting him real help, they put him on a combination of four medications. Um, and within four weeks of four medications, he was arrested four times. So um, that's what caused that inpatient day. Um, so, and then since then, it's just been a series of kind of um, back and forth between fighting now, with the he... VA to try to get real care and um, and, and yes, essentially a little bit of both of um, me, my family, and myself trying to get, and also my husband has recognized at times, too, that he needs to go back. Okay, okay. Now, when when that happens, how is... Is he getting paid through the military, or is he out for, like, does he get 70%, or does he get, like, um, the other guys, do they get a percentage of his pay? Is that enough? You know what I mean? He's dis- yes, he's disabled. Um, he's, got, he, he's not medically disabled. There's a difference between... Um, medically retired and getting disability pay. So he gets disability pay. Um, and um, he's 80% disabled for his PTSD and TBI back, um, and his back injury. Um, and, uh, yeah, he gets so he gets paid for that. Okay. Now, is that um, – I, I heard um, um, JT's mom say, or JT's stepfather say, that JT's mom gets – a caregiver's pay as well. Mhm. Do you also I, receive that? And what, I do not. What is that? No. I do why not. Is that? Um, and I. Why don't I? I've never. Hold I've on. never applied for caregiver pay. Um. Uh, so that that's why I don't have it. Um, caregiver would, pay would is for. Would you like for, to speak to that? Um, someone who. It's for any uh, veteran spouse or who who spends a great deal of time caring for their spouse. I, I probably could apply. Um, it's not. I actually didn't find out about this program until just a few months ago. 
I wasn't even aware of it. And since then, I, I now have a, a full-time job. Um, so at this time, um, and I've had that job since March. So at this time, it considering how many hours I work, I it, it probably I, it's just not it's not something that I would I would apply for at this time. Oh, okay. Someone um, I don't know who it was. They didn't want to speak to caregivers pay. Yeah, that that was Brian. Oh, okay. Go go ahead, Brian. Yeah, um, I'm not sure uh, what other people might be eligible for, but as far as Chris, JT's mom, she uh, takes care of him 100%. So in lieu of him basically being put in a home, we we take care of him, and they give Chris's mom a pittance for her time. Who did I say Chris's mom? JT's mom. You know, a, a small amount to, to take care of him. Okay, so it's not worth what Stephanie has to do as far as it's better for her to just work on her own and, and receive more for her. Well, and I have to to be clear what what I what what Chris does for her son. Hold on one hold on one second, Stephanie. Hold on okay. one second. Um. Okay, uh, Chris and Brian, I think you're too close together. So can you guys one of you mute your phones? So, um, so the echo won't come back. Okay, now I'm sorry, Stephanie. Go ahead. What Chris does for her son is leaps and bounds more than what I have to do for my husband. I mean, my husband can can dress himself and feed himself and and function okay. and drive a car. And so, put there are different tiers of caregiver pay. Um, and, and there are and um, I it's certainly I but it you know Chris. I'm here she, now. Oh, okay. <laughs> she can probably speak for herself, but she she has you know what Chris does is leaps and bounds more than what I have to do in a, in a day to take care of of Justin. Yeah, JT is completely different because he is total care. He is twenty four by seven. I can't not even work a home job by telephone because if JT hears me speaking on the telephone. He gets really pissed off because I'm not paying attention to him. So I can't even work at home. So the caregiver stipend helps, but it doesn't pay our bills. Mm. Wow. Okay, so note it because I, I thought that, I guess to my ignorance, um, they noted you have to survive. And I, I thought that they would have been courteous enough to um, do enough. To oh no, <laughs> <laughs> no, they oh. definitely do not do enough. Okay. okay. And not only that, but in all reality, and I'm being completely honest, and I'm putting myself out here, and our family out here on the line, but the fiduciary department absolutely. <laughs> okay. I have to do I have to do an audit every single year about every single penny of JT's money that I spend and it all has to be spent on him and I have to account for every penny. And it's ridiculous. It's much worse than an IRS audit. I go through 
six months of the year going through horrendous stress because they declined my audit, declined my audit, then they approved my audit, then they approved my audit, and then the next year they declined my audit for the same reasons that they approved it the year before. It's ridiculous. These people are totally untrained, and it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Sorry. Okay, that's fine. Now, now, I, Chris, you said. I mean, I'm sorry, um, Stephanie. You said earlier that your husband, you guys, been married for 15 years, right? Mm-hmm. Now, but he's not there currently. And he has four stays at the v, I mean at the institution where he has to be treated for PTSD because of how bad it is, right? Combination of PTSD and TBI, yeah. Okay. Now, when he returns home, do you think that it is going to be if he still has the condition that he had when he left? Well, first of all, do, when he leaves, do, does he get to come back to see you when he leaves like six months at a time? Does he, get, does he get to come back? This is the longest he's been gone. Before, it's been 30 days, so this has by far been the longest. Um, he's been back twice. He's been back two weekends. How was he's those five hours away, so um, the closest, that's the other issue with the VA. They don't have, it's not like every person has an inpatient facility close by. He's five, he's five hours away, so I work sometimes often 50 or 60 hour weeks so um and i have two young kids so it's not like it's a easy for me to go visit him long he he does have a car there but um one of his triggers similar to i think two of the veterans on the phone said that overpasses were a problem for for them they are for my husband as well so long car rides um both weekends that he came here were not good the five-hour drive was rough um so yeah i've seen him two weekends and so when you say the the two weekends he were there, was that unaccompanied when he came home or yeah, he, he drove himself, He drove himself home both times, but um you know, it it's um it's it's not the best option. Um it's and it's another issue with the VA. You know, it's the things that they just don't take think about. There are yeah, they they don't yeah, I mean, we well, we don't need to go. <laughs> we went into a right. call about the issues with the VA. We could be on this one for 12 hours. So, <laughs> Okay, okay. Well, you know, I, I definitely uh, appreciate um, of what, what you're going through, and I just wanted to make sure that if there's anything that any of us can do, how can we contribute, how can we help you, um, could we join your, not join your support group, but, you know, um, <laughs> contribute to your support group in any way, uh, you can let us know that now because uh, I would definitely, I don't want blood like that to be on my hands as a person that's able to just go and come as I please, knowing that people are fighting for my freedom. Um, and then I don't you know, show I them think some kind of... Anyone, I think, contributing to JT's fund is an, it would be an awesome way to help Um I think that there's a wonderful organization out there called IAVA that's an awesome um, group. Um, you know, there IAVA. 
Um, okay. There are, uh, you know, any. Um, I, I'm, you know, really when it comes down to it, um, I, I think just 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 letting people know um, is, is big as well. Um, we don't our, the group that we are that we support each other with isn't isn't a non profit. We don't we don't do donations or that kind of thing. Um Okay. So okay. yeah. All right. And do you think that you can you're gonna remain I'm sorry, go ahead. You got a question, right? Mm-hmm. Me no. Okay. Now do you think that um when he comes home, do you think that he's gonna be uh fixed this time or do you think they're trying to do a rush job like they did like uh, David said earlier, do you think that they're going to be trying to do a rush job like they did with him, or do you think they're really going to try to do um, what they do to help him? Uh, I'll, you know, I the jury's out. I, I honestly don't know. Um, it's been a it's been a rough road keeping him in there, <laughs> not because he hasn't wanted to stay, but they've certainly tried to get him out. Um, so okay. I don't know. Um, the, the, okay. Yeah, the, 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 the VA hospitals are full, and there's waiting lists for, for all of them. So um, he seems wow. better, for sure. Um, I definitely think he's made some huge strides. So I would like to give them the benefit of the doubt um, and say that in that maybe this time it's it's made some difference, but um, it's an ongoing battle. So even if he comes home better, it's going to be up to him and to um, to to me and to his family and to the VA to, to keep keep it up. Okay. All right. Is there anything else any, that anyone else would like to say before we uh, end this in this show tonight? Stephanie, Good I show. really appreciate you being here. I, I really appreciate you being. You and Chris, uh, you guys have been, you guys are a perfect example of what the world needs as far as uh, the other the other side of this awesome military that we have. And it's, it's a higher cost to pay, I believe, on your end than it is on the service member, or if not, they're equal, because both, both of you guys give up something when your husband or your spouse is married to the military because that's what it is. They're they're obligating or committed or in covenant with uh, another person or another unit or another entity, and they have to do things that they not necessarily want to do with that other unit, but they have to do it in order to support the secondary unit, which is the wife and the children. And it's cost to go with that as well if they're injured. So I really, my hats are off to you, and thank you for your service because you provide a, 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 a even a more deeper behind-the-scenes service than a service member himself. So well, I really appreciate I, I appreciate you saying that, but nothing, the biggest service anyone can do is serve our country. So, you know, that's that's a, you know that's why most of us are here because of our gratitude for that. That's that that is well true. I, I you know you really can't put it on a on, on a scale because both are suffering and serving. In in my opinion, both are suffering and serving. So, um, but I appreciate you, your husband, and even your children because they have to give up their father and their mother. 
Mm-hmm. We appreciate it. True. Any, any, anybody you. else got anything? I'm in awe, man. Good, good, good show tonight, man. I'm in awe. That's all I got to say. Sorry. Well, mm-hmm. thank you all for, for doing this, and we appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. I got, I got, I got something. Hey, this is Brian uh-huh. and and Stephanie. You know, thank you and all the mothers and wives out there that take care of the the vets. You know, the husbands and the sons. And if people want to donate, if they don't feel comfortable donating to an individual, there's three organizations that stand out in my mind. One is the uh, Semper Fi Fund, and they provided a lot of support to JT. The Gary Sinise Foundation. That's oh, that's a great one. I second that one. Yep. And the, the Wounded Warrior Project. So those okay. those three are, are the top ones on my list. Perfect. Can you Maybe. can you say the Semper Fi or how you spell that? S E F. Well, the the Marine could probably spell that Semper Fi Fund. S E M. P R I. P E R. I don't know. I, I'm Navy. I don't know how to spell Semper Fi. S E M P E R. I'm sure you can Google it. Yeah, you can Google it. No doubt, we can Google it. That's okay. Well, we're gonna we're gonna put that on our website. So when and I will come also, it's a Semper Fi great. I definitely want to double double check mark the Gary Sinise Fund. Also, he's it's a great organization too. Okay. Okay. So well, we'll make sure that goes on our website. We'll keep it up there. Um, so people, if they want to donate and if they want to support the cause of the military, which I know they will, um, and to our fallen soldiers and the soldiers that that still risking their lives uh, today, um, we will we'll definitely support that. So, thank you. If any, no, if anybody got anything else? We're gonna go before we go into open mic. Mm-mm. Okay. Switch it over to open mic. This this is where we just sit around and talk about what happened on the show. <laughs> 